The following program is pre-recorded. And this is KPFA 94.1 FM in Berkeley, KPFB 89.3 FM in Berkeley, KFCF 88.1 FM in Fresno, K248BR 97.5 FM in Santa Cruz and online around the world, www.kpfa.org. Coming up, a Black History special. We're going to be showcasing two books. We'll be starting with the life story of Frederick Douglass. We'll be ending with the story of the great migration. I'm Brian edwards Teeker. Stay with us. We don't know when Frederick Douglass was born. That date was never recorded nor told to him because he was born a slave. But we do know the date of his death, February 20th, a day that ended one of the most remarkable lives in the history of America. Douglass educated himself freed himself, chose his own name, turned his story into a best-selling book that became a narrative engine for the abolitionist cause, joined the movement for women's suffrage, founded his own newspaper, and from that platform helped move President Lincoln to free the slaves of the South, something that Lincoln was very much against at the outset of the Civil War. Much of Douglas's speaking and writing was part of a grand project of rehumanizing slaves by telling his own story. And our next guest has taken that work to a new medium. In his lifetime, Douglas embraced public speaking, publishing, portrait photography. Now he's in a nonfiction graphic novel. The writer behind that work is David Walker. He's good enough to join us from the studios of our affiliate station, KBU in Portland. Thank you so much for coming on. Hey, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be on. So you are super accomplished in the world of comics. You have been in charge of the storylines of some of the most prominent black superheroes in the world. Luke Cage, Shaft, Cyborg at DC Comics. Uh, why did you decide to make the move into nonfiction writing? Nonfiction was something that I, I had always had my eyeball on. Uh, I was always, uh, there There was several projects that I had been thinking about, a couple that I'd been developing. Frederick Douglass wasn't one of those. Um, but when the opportunity came up, it, it was like the golden opportunity. It was, it was a chance for me to explore nonfiction, which again, is something I really wanted to do, but it was also the opportunity to do a deep dive into to the life of somebody that I thought I knew something about, but then I realized it was just the tip of the iceberg. What did that research process look like? What did you learn that you didn't know? Oh, everything just about. I mean, I had a I had an old beat up copy of the narrative of the life of Frederick Douglass sitting on my my bookshelf that had probably been sitting there for about twenty years. That's the first of his three autobiographies. I didn't even have the other two, nor did I know that there were two other autobiographies. Um, it was it was sort of a. I call it like the elementary school history of of Frederick Douglass's life that that was at least that was 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 I was retaining in my brain and um you know I didn't really know anything about m much of his life other than the fact that he escaped from slavery I I didn't know anything about you know the um you mentioned earlier the, uh, his his interest in portrait photography he was the the most photographed american of the 19th century very acutely aware of of at that time what mass media was and and in some ways was probably arguably the first celebrity to emerge from uh here within the united states it's, it's certainly the the most celebrated person who was not um an elected official in the us or royalty in europe and that's just sort of the beginning of what I learned. Yeah, reading your graphic novel made me realize uh, a lot of my knowledge 
stops at the end of the narrative, the life of Frederick Douglass, too, because that's the, the autobiography he put out that was a bestseller. It's the one that still lands on college syllabi for people studying the run-up to the Civil War. But it ends with him exiting slavery, and it's just like the opening period in his life of decades of dedicated activism and organizing. Yeah, oh, it's very much like, um, it's it's almost like the first act in a grand three-act play, and and in, in his second work, and then the third work, you, you know, he details how he met Abraham Lincoln, he details later on how he actually escaped from slavery, there's so much stuff that that first book doesn't cover, and you realize, uh, you know, even for myself, it was like, oh, wait a sec, there's so much more here, and, and then there was also one of the big things that I, I really discovered was how history was recorded both by outside historians, by the mass media, and then by individuals. So, for example, you know, Frederick Douglass was married to the same woman for for 40-something years, but he almost never talked about her, and and there's very little written about her. And then what I began to discover was that was considered bad form back then to talk about your, your... Marriage and your your wife and those sort of relationships, um, and and she played such an integral role in his life, and and that was one of the frustrating things for me during research was how little I was able to find out about Anna Marie Douglas, and and it's it's still sort of um, an itch that I'll need to scratch at some point in my life. Yeah, I mean, particularly because uh, for his time, he was an incredible champion of women's rights. He attends the Seneca Falls Convention where the suffrage movement is born, and. Uh, he, he lands harder on the question of suffrage than some of the women there do. He also had a, a bit of a contentious relationship with, with some of the uh, members of the suffrage movement. And, and again, as I was doing research on his life, there were so many other people and so many other subjects that began to open up to me that, that I realized if you're lucky, if you're curious about history and you, and you study it with any degree of, of interest, most of us, the, the, most of the people who do that, such as myself, have... I guess, lack, for lack of a better term, almost like a Cliff Notes understanding of history. We, it, we don't know that much. Um, and then you start to begin to do these deep dives and all these things open up. And, and then the next thing you know, in my case, you know, I had a stack of books on, on Frederick Douglass that's, you know, probably a good two, three feet high, maybe four feet high. And then, but next to it, there's, you know, books on Susan B. Anthony and, and books on Harriet Tubman and John Brown and Abraham Lincoln and, and all these people who... Um, you know, we're connected to him in one capacity or another. A couple themes come up the way you tell the story. One is that from a very early age, about 16 years old, Frederick Douglass is someone who will risk taking a severe beating rather than submit to people who have the power to end his life. Yeah, he, um, you know, there, there's, <clears throat> it's interesting because I would love to have met him and, and talked to him and interviewed him and gotten to know him to really get a, a better sense of, of what was going on in his head. But I think that he, at a very early age, when, when he was first learning how to read and, and his master uh, forbade, forbade him from, from learning, there was this connection that went on in his in his mind and he realized the importance of knowledge and the importance of what someone could take away from him and and how much control he had over his own life and his own destiny and it, it became uh sort of the driving narrative for him was that that he wanted to be in control no matter what and and um 
you know, he talks about how they could break his body but not break his spirit. And a lot of people will say those things, but they don't understand what that means literally to have your body broken, to to take um, the sort of physical abuse that, that he went through uh, and that he witnessed in within members of his own family on, on the plantation where he grew up and then what he saw later on in life. It was probably in the third fist fight that it kind of clicked for me why his story works so well in comic panels and a medium that we usually associate with superheroes. Yeah, it was, you know, it was one of those things where there's there's a lot of moments in his life that, that lend themselves to strong visual storytelling, whether it, in, in our case it was the graphic novel, um, but I think it could also work in, in, you know, film or television or something like that. Um, his both his first failed attempt at, at his escape, but then his second successful uh, escape attempt. The, the second one, when you're reading about it in in his uh, in the third book that he wrote, it's almost like an episode of Mission Impossible, and then and and it's it's so incredibly fascinating. And and he had a tendency to downplay some of this stuff. He would often say that oh his escape wasn't nearly as exciting or interesting because all he did was hop on a train then take a boat and he was free within under 24 hours but uh it it was so much more than that yeah i mean he's interesting as a narrator because one of the things he wrestles with from very early on when he's doing basically the abolitionist speaking circuit in the north is that he is such an articulate narrator people in the audience don't believe he was ever a slave yeah, no, and that's a, he, he talked about that a lot. And I think that that sort of, you know, that that, that played into both the, the racism and the preconceived notions and the ideologies of that era. But all of that stuff still comes into play now. You know, we still have, um, you know, people will say, oh, you, you know, you're so articulate or you don't sound like other black people or, you know, things like that. Like there's this, again, there's these prejudices and these preconceived notions of what, of what people of color are supposed to sound like, what we're supposed to talk about, how much we're supposed to know, how articulate we're supposed to be. And, and it's interesting you know, here he was dealing with this 200 years ago, and, and in some cases we're still dealing with this now. So you made the editorial decision after a lot of wrestling to have this book narrated in the voice of Frederick Douglass. But to yeah. do that without quoting from his writing, because people in the 19th century did not write sentences of a suitable length for comic panels. No, not at all. Not by any stretch of the imagination. And and even you take one of his speeches and, um, you know, they would be for him to get up and stand in front of an audience to give one of his speeches might take an hour or two. I mean, these were long. You, you have to remember that this was an era before film and TV and, and, and radio and the Internet and all these things. So so public speaking was actually considered a form of, of entertainment. It was it was a big deal. And, and um, public speakers would do these very long presentations. And I, I remember at one point when I was uh, in the early phases of working on the book, I was like, yeah, you know, we maybe we can like uh have him you know have a page or two dedicated to one of his speeches and and like actually reprint the speech as it was and then it became very clear that that wasn't going to happen because it was not only was it too long but there was you know there was uh there was terminology that that 
was would, would be difficult for people to fully comprehend that wouldn't translate well and and so what I did was I just spent a lot of time reading his work getting the gist of what he was saying writing it in a, in a very contemporary way and then reworking it so that it had a, a, a bit more formality to it and and I I essentially cre- you know I was doing the my best to imitate his voice um in terms of how it read, not necessarily how it would sound, if that makes sense. Yeah, and I think you nailed it. I mean, I hadn't read Autobiography of Frederick Douglass since I was in college a long time ago. And the way you wrote the graphic novel made me feel like I was hearing his voice again. Well, thank you. Yeah, no, it was, and again, I, as you said earlier, I wrestled with that. I, I it was a, It was a very difficult decision because I didn't want it to... Um, I didn't want it to come across as being either flippant or or um, just cheap. I guess I, I think that there, there was a, there was a possibility that it, that it would have sounded like a, a either cheap or cheat with a T, and I, I didn't want either of those. But I also knew that um, what I had written earlier was was just boring. You know, it was so it, it was very dry and lifeless, which is that that's sort of the flip side. That's one of the dangers of the graphic novel medium is that certain types of narratives can read very, very dry. And and I didn't want that. I, I, I knew that um, that a people would would just get law would, would walk away from it. They, they would get bored and they wouldn't care. But I also realized that that was, in a lot of ways, was counter to everything that Frederick Douglass was doing with his entire life, which was he was asserting his voice. He was asserting his humanity. And I, and I knew that I had to do that. And, and so once I, once I fully embraced that decision, then it, it's, it became easier. Then it was just a question of convincing my editor that, that this was the direction to go. One of the things that makes him so interesting as a figure is that at different points in his life... He lands in, like, very different modes of political consciousness. The early part of his life is kind of devoted to improving himself and then liberating himself. He comes to abolitionism through, you know, his relationship with William Lloyd Garrison, who is committed to nonviolent abolition of slavery. But he, he comes to conspire with John Brown in trying to foment a slave uprising. Uh, to overthrow the institution of slavery in the South, a violent revolution. Uh, and towards the very end of his life with the Civil War in the rearview mirror, and I had never known this till I read your book, he's someone who actually goes through a, a kind of a reconciliation process with the people who used to own him. Yeah, no, and for him, I think it's it's very interesting because there's a, there's so much there's there's a certain amount of controversy around like his relationship with his former owner. There's there's some people who, um, you know, want to believe that he they never reconciled, even though he said that they did. Um, and then there's 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 people that sort of feel like that should be glossed over. I think one of the things that's very interesting is that he didn't have a particularly good relationship with his owners, but he didn't have a terrible relationship with them either. And, and he talks about that a lot. He talks about that he was, in a, as, as far as slavery goes, his life at times was, was very unique and very different than a lot of other slaves, especially slaves in the Deep South. He was primarily in the Baltimore area and, and in parts of Maryland, which was very different than, say, the experience in, in some place like Mississippi or Arkansas. And I think for him, it was 
as part of his narrative, and and again, he was he was he was a celebrity. You know, everybody knew who he was. I think it was very important for him to take control of his narrative, knowing that that people would look to that as being sort of the um, as sort of a truth, if not the truth of what needed to happen, but a truth of what could happen. And and I think that was important for him to find peace with. Um, with his owner and 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 to show that peace could be made and that if he didn't if he didn't make that sort of peace that that we would have this sort of problems that we're having right now you know it's it's the so many of the issues that we have dealing with race in in this country come from the fact that none of us are willing to make peace with who we are um where we are and and not only what's been done to us but making peace with how we respond to it that's the voice of David Walker. He's a writer, a filmmaker, a graphic artist. He has been in charge of the plot lines of some of the lucrative, most lucrative black superheroes in the world. But his latest book is A Labor of Love. It's a passion project. It is his very first venture into nonfiction. It's entitled The Life of Frederick Douglass, a graphic narrative of a slave's journey from bondage to freedom. Um, this is our featured thank you gift for most of this hour. It is 181 pages, full color, bold art on every page. It, it, it's hand art, but really kind of calls out to the kind of aesthetics of 19th century woodblocks uh, in the lines in it. It combines the three books that Frederick Douglass wrote about his own life, because one was not enough to contain him, uh, into an incredibly accessible narrative. And the rigor that went into researching the book kind of shows through around the edges. It's got this sprawling bibliography at the end, like you would expect to find at the back of an academic tome. Uh, it's got a full index. It's got a bunch of sidebar essays. One is a, a two-page history of slavery. Another is a, a history of the Civil War. There's an essay that I found really interesting on the medium of photography and Frederick Douglass, who is believed to be the single most photographed person of the 19th century. He embraced this as the new popular medium of the time because he thought pictures could help humanize a people that had systematically been dehumanized in this country. And I think taking his life story and putting it into a popular medium of our time, the graphic novel, uh, is very much in line with the work that he did during his life. This is just a, a lovely book, a pleasure to flip through, something you can lose yourself in for an afternoon or an entire day, and an incredible gift. It's yours for a pledge of $100 or more at 1-800-439-5732, 1-800-HEY-KPFA, or online at kpfa.org. And... If you pledge right now, you have a chance to make that pledge go further. Uh, just a couple minutes ago, I was passed a note from the pledge room. We have one anonymous donor in Hayward who has offered to double $1,000 if we can raise 1000 to match them. So we're going to start the countdown now. We have zero callers on the line. The book, The Life of Frederick Douglass, a graphic narrative of a slave's journey from bondage to freedom is yours for a pledge of $100. You can do it at $10 a month by becoming a KPFA sustainer, and the full amount will still count towards our challenge. All you have to do is call 
1-800-439-5732. Let's go back to the conversation with David Walker. There's a type of forgiveness that um, it says to another person, I'm no, go- no longer going to lease space to you within my being. I'm no longer going to concern myself with the things that you've done to me. I'm going to move on with my life. And I think that was part of what he was trying to do. Um, And I think he was just, again, he was trying to, as the nation was healing after the Civil War and, and not making things work during Reconstruction, I think he was sort of looking at what can each of us do as individuals and and taking a sort of moral high ground and and again reconciling with with these people that had treated him like property i think maybe he was trying to do that as an example for other people but the problem was that that you need both parties to come to that reconciliation you need you need one person to say i i'm i'm going to forgive you what you did to me but that the person who's saying i forgive you they are going to need to hear some type of apology and the, and a lot of that never came. There was a lot of, you know, post-slavery, post-Civil War, there was a lot of blaming the slaves for the war, blaming the slaves for everything that, that the Confederacy went through. And and that's sort of the bigger form of denial that was going on and, and honestly is still going on today. And it's not like he becomes a pushover late in life. He definitely supports then-President Ulysses S. Grant suspending habeas corpus to uh, jail and crack down on the resurgent Ku Klux Klan. Yeah, he's, you know, I think, and I didn't get into a lot of the stuff um, later in his life. Part of it was just because we were limited by our page count. Um, But it also got to a point where if we're we're going to talk about a life in acts, you know, and and apply a three-act structure to it, like Frederick Douglass... Frederick Douglass's life did not have three acts, just like none of our lives have three acts. They have four and five and six acts. And and once you start getting into like the Grant presidency and, and his um, some of uh, Douglass's appointments to to office and 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 the travels that he did, even his second marriage after Anna died, that's a second, maybe even a third graphic novel. And um, and so I just got to a point where deadlines were were coming in, and I realized. I'm either going to have to cut a lot of stuff that's already here or I'm going to have to wind it down and and hope that either there's this, you know, maybe someone else will do a graphic novel that focuses on this other stuff because there's so much other stuff that could be talked about. We're speaking of David Walker. He's an award-winning comic writer who's been in charge of some of the world's most famous black heroes, including Shaft and Luke Cage. His newest book is his first adventure into nonfiction in that medium. It is called The Life of Frederick Douglas. Um, so let's talk a little bit about some of the editorial decisions you made putting this timeline together. There's several points in the book where you do break into kind of straight chronological history, throwing up a timeline of slavery uh, or a multi-page explainer on the Civil War. You feel like you have more information than you could cram into the comic panels? Oh, there's way too much. I mean, you could do uh, you could do an entire graphic novel on on slavery in America. You could do an entire series of graphic novels on the Civil War. My feeling was that um, that I didn't want to I didn't want to fail to contextualize those two important 
pieces. Those are two big elephants in the room when we're talking about not only the history of America, but the, the life of Frederick Douglass. And it just seemed to me that, um, that you know, we, we, it's 2019 and there's still people who believe that the Civil War was fought over states' rights. Okay? And um, I, I couldn't write a book about, a graphic novel about Frederick Douglass and slavery and abolitionism and not address the Civil War and, and at least give some sort of um, commentary on, on what the real causes were. And, and we talked about this. I talked about this with my editor. And I just felt like uh, a lot of times, especially with graphic novels, there's, there's this, we try to cr cram in all the information like a birth to death examination of a person's life without giving the, the certain important contexts. And, and I also knew that there would be, in all likelihood, some young people and, or college students reading this book. And if, if this is going to be someone's first dive into the life of Frederick Douglass, I wanted to make sure that there was, there was at least a few bits of key information about the larger picture of what was going on in this country and during his time. Who did you have in the mind as a reader when you wrote the book? I had in mind, I guess, myself at about the age of 13 or 14. I thought about, um, you know, I, I actually teach part-time. I teach at Portland State University. I teach a writing class. But I thought about what I was like as a student and what it, you know, what it would, every time I would have to do research on something and I would get a big giant book that was like 700 pages long and I would feel so intimidated because uh, I wasn't the best student when I was, when I was younger. Um, and I, 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 so I thought about trying to put this together for people who, who were interested in knowing more, but didn't necessarily know where to start. And because, and you know, when I was started doing research on Frederick Douglass, the first thing I, one of the first things I discovered was a lot of the books are, are, are pretty dense and impenetrable, you know? Um, and so if, a, say, a 14-year-old kid has to do a report on Frederick Douglass, you know, I hope that my book isn't the only book that they use, but it, I, I want it to be a good entry point. And, and so I thought about that. I, I thought, I, I, I really did. I wrote it for myself, the not the best student in the world. I was a curious kid, but I was only curious about the things I wanted to know about as opposed to things that, you know, were the homework assignments. Yeah, I guess that's one of the things I really appreciated about it is that his work was never intended to be dense or impenetrable. I mean, his autobiography, his newspaper, The North Star, uh, the 160 portrait photographs he took, these were all him using the popular media of the time to try to reach a popular audience. It's just with the passage of time, the language gets a little less accessible. Exactly. I mean, honestly, again, if you look at a book that's, uh, say, uh, 700 pages and no pictures, it's a lot more intimidating than a graphic novel. You know, you put that you put that 700 page book in front of I don't care who it is. The vast majority of people, if you put that a graphic novel in front of somebody in a seven, eight hundred page, big, thick, hardcover book, most people are, they might pick up that book, flip through it for a little bit, but they're going to pick up that graphic novel and go, well, you know, what's this? They can read it in an hour or two. And, and um, I, I think that, you know, anything that gets people reading and, and gets them learning and, and, and sparks their imagination, sparks their, their curiosity and their intellect, I'm fine with it. 
Yeah, I love it as a medium, and and it's not a medium I work in, just one I consume. Because when it's done well, it is so information dense in terms of how much it conveys relative to your commitment of time. Uh, because someone like you has gone over every word with a scalpel, asking if it's necessary or not, and asking how much of the work can be done through the drawings. That's it. That's it's, uh, And this is sort of what I tell my students, is that you've got to find that balance between text and image, and 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 every word is precious, and, and you're, you're limited by space. In, in graph novels, and and there's a limited amount of space on the page, a limited number of pages in the book, and you've got to find a way to make it work. I love that challenge. It seems like in in the fictional world of comics, this is a great time to be trying to get more attention to black characters, um, particularly with Marvel's runaway successes on the big screen. Um, do you think there there would have been a market or interest from publishers in a book like this five, six years ago? There's a good chance there wouldn't have been a market five, six, or there, there would have been a market, but most publishers wouldn't have recognized it. And now I think we're just seeing it open up. I definitely think that there's there's more room to maneuver and there's, um, as, as in, in graphic novels and, and black characters, I both I think both fiction and nonfiction. On on the nonfiction side, that's what's really intriguing to me. I have to be hundred percent honest. Um, I am sort of looking at my life and looking at my career and looking at how much time I, I potentially have left and seeing that there's not enough to tell all the stories that I would like to tell. So I'm encouraging other writers and editors and publishers to to do a deep dive. I mean, we uh, at the top of my list is, is Ida B. Wells. I would love to see a graphic novel about the life and accomplishments of Ida B. Wells. Um, in terms of fiction, I think part of it is that we're seeing uh, like the response to say, you know, the Black Panther movie and to a, to a lesser extent the comic, but but it's definitely there. I think it's that we're seeing characters depicted in ways... When I was a kid growing up, I'll give you an example. I mean, I loved Luke 